the roller coaster of life, the roller coaster of business, oh, the joys that it brings, the ups, the downs. Oh, don't you just wish that it was a little bit easier? Well, never wish that life were easier. Wish that you were better. That's straight from Jim Rohn himself. Now, the truth is, business is not linear. Hmm. That means you're going to have to make some mistakes, maybe big mistakes, maybe some small mistakes. There's going to be plenty of wins on the way. Me and you, we're going to interview the business owner next door. That's Adam Morally. Who is Adam? Well, he's an entrepreneur. He's got several businesses. He's made the mistakes and he's had the successes. This is a story of entrepreneurship straight from the business owner next door, Adam Morley. Let's do this. Adam, let's talk about business. You've got lots of businesses then, and you've you've been loads of experience across a whole host of different business through the work that you've been doing. Yeah. What are the biggest mistakes that you've ever made? Wow. So I was a lawyer started off as a lawyer and then kind of halfway into my legal career I had uh, a wish to start other businesses and one of the first businesses I helped co-found alongside being a lawyer was a creative marketing agency right and I made quite a lot of mistakes in that endeavor because I wasn't full-time in the business you know I was a full-time lawyer and it was an entrepreneurial kind of speculation. I didn't really... The first mistake was that I didn't understand the business of a creative agency from the ground up. I looked at it, uh, and I was a, effectively a director, kind of mm-hmm. co-founder of the business, but I didn't know enough to make good decisions. So we made some bad decisions on our market positioning. We made some bad decisions on who we hired. And, yeah, it was quite a lot of uh, bad decisions. We had a very, very good central team and but real excellence. And I kind of naively believed if you had an excellent team, an excellent product offering, you'd do really well in the market, but it's not true. Well, let, let's use that example. I'm going to come back to the original question in a second and find out some other stuff. But so decision-making, making good, because there's this, some people talk about, is there such thing as a bad decision? Is there a good, what, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think decisions are all important. I think you you have to have some fundamental basics right in business, but then there, you know, every day, I don't know, there's some stat that you make thousands of decisions every day in your personal life or whatever, but in business, when you move to the top of a business, when you're a leader in a business, it is all about making the right decisions every day. That's what you've got to focus on. I, inter- I, I interviewed a neuroscientist, and you know what she said? This was Helena Bosky. She said this, she said, make all your decisions in the morning. Any important decisions you've got, you make <laughs> them in the morning because what happens throughout the day is you get fatigue and yeah. you break. So you says, make your important decisions in the morning. So look, you, what you were saying there, you, you, you made bad decisions. What were some of the bad decisions that you made that you prepared to share? Um, we, I put certain people in positions of leadership that shouldn't have had those positions. I bet that's really common in business, by the way. Yeah. Um, because I didn't understand what was necessary for that team. Being a lawyer, sometimes you think you know it all because you spend your whole time advising other businesses. Almost like, I guess, management consultants probably feel the same way. You go in and you say, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, why didn't you do this, why didn't you do this? And then that was my first time kind of on the other side. And then you realise business is about, you know, making decisions, the best decisions you can make at the time. As a lawyer, you're, you're often working in reverse, so you're like, oh, that was a bad decision. You're in hindsight, 2020 hindsight. Whereas in real business, you're doing it in the moment at that time. And you go, oh, okay, this person seems nice. Hiring decisions were probably my biggest mistakes. In what, that what kind of, just, just elaborate on that, hiring decisions. Take hiring, it. if you don't understand the necessary skills for the job, top to bottom, when you hire you hire off gut instinct yeah, and you hire off feel. Two things which aren't bad motivations in the hiring process, 
But if you don't fully understand what is required to undertake the job, you won't get the most competent people and that won't translate through to your business. So that's why I made those mistakes. And how has that marketing agency unfolded? How long ago was that? 12 years ago, 11, 12 years ago. Is it ago. still going? Have you finished it? I, I think it has, um, it still exists as a company out there. Right. Um, but as a business, it's effectively finished, yeah. What happened was there were some very talented people in there. We had great clients. We made a bit of money, but ultimately it didn't have longevity and the people just moved on. Right. And all right, so what about any other mistakes that you might have made across the other different businesses that you've had as well? I think that in the boxing business I run, I didn't appropriately with one of my investors, we didn't appropriately set out who had to do what. So I think when you start a company and your founders, co-founders or there's however many of you, you often think, okay, you do sales and marketing, you do finance, yeah. um, you do legal, and you do this. And with excessive levels of optimism. With excessive levels of optimism. And you're the three musketeers and, you, and you've got three different areas you work in. That's fine to begin with. But then you realise that there are tons and tons of issues that fall within those three sectors. And someone is going to take an uneven amount of those issues. And that person can become quite resentful sometimes of the others. And the mistake I made was not sharply defining who had to do what at the beginning. In the shareholders agreement? We didn't even have a shareholders agreement. Okay, so there's a lesson I mean, we were talking about this before, about lawyers yeah. may do make terrible legal decisions yeah. sometimes, but I didn't have a shareholders agreement. But we had an unwritten rule between us, and it just wasn't clear enough who was doing what. You can't beat it, can you? The clarity beating chaos and all of that. Clear who's responsible for what, especially the leaders of the business, the owners. Of and business. you have to do it from the get-go. If you don't do it on day one, the day you do set it, there will be emotions involved and feelings about who's done what to that point and why are you trying to do this now? And why are you trying to put this in writing now? Why are we trying to set this out? It's a much, much more difficult conversation than it is on day one. get go, yeah. When you can say, right, James, these are the 20 things I'm doing. These are 20 things you're doing. I mean, in my experience as a lawyer, having worked with a lot of co-founders who have split up, it always generally comes down to they were supposed to do X and they didn't do it and I shouldered the burden. They're lazy, I'm not. That's what... Everyone thinks, and that's as a percentage of you, of the 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 cases that you get. Then, what what do you attribute down to that exact reason? Yeah, it's it's a it's a mismanagement and a misplacement of expectation against reality. One of the partners does more, well, has a certain work ethic and a certain way they work. Yeah, and oftentimes, like in real world in in personal relationships, people gravitate towards and go into business with people who are dissimilar to themselves they don't generally go into business with someone identical to themselves so you have complementary skills you may have a very business-minded person with a creative but that means they may not have exactly the same work ethics for example yeah. and then the person who's up till midnight doesn't like the person who i do hear about that wakes you up know, at 10 a.m and clocks off at 5 p.m Again, the way you can guard against that in the beginning is to be really, really clear on expectations. But when you start off, it's, it's dreamy, isn't it? How important is that shareholders agreement then that you didn't have on that? I, I would say a shareholders agreement generally is an, is an important document, but it's more than that. It's not about having a shareholders agreement. It's about having it written down somewhere or a very very even if it's in yeah. text messages everybody knows a very very clear understanding of what a has to do and what b has to do because that will take you through to the end but like in personal relationships when you have prenups people don't like to talk about these things at the beginning because it's very romantic and you think yeah. you're going to go on forever and you think you're going to be in business together excessive forever. levels of optimism excessive levels of optimism and you don't want to talk about what happens when it goes wrong and you know that's, it won't happen to it me. It won't happen to us. But it does. It does. Well, you see that all day, every day in, some day. Of you, in one of your businesses. Any other mistakes that are springing out of... Yeah, I mean, how long have you been 
in business yourself then? Um, so I started as a lawyer in the late 90s and pretty much exclusively did that and nothing else probably until about 2010. Yeah. Um, the first business outside of law I got involved with, the very first business was um, a concept to do with dating sites where along with a, a good friend of mine, we came up with this idea that um, dating sites weren't sending the people who went on the dating sites anywhere. So we went out and we did deals with um, pubs and restaurants mm -hmm. and bowling alleys and partnered them up with a dating site. So within that, that was, again, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was doing it on the side, so I couldn't fully commit to it. Um, made a lot of mistakes in that. That was my first real taste of working with developers. Right. And probably the mistake I made was not understanding properly how to work with the developer, not understanding how to control them, and just assuming everything they told me was true. Would you say that's management rather than leadership, that bit? Oh, definitely management, yeah. That was a man that was a management issue. Um, and I think a lot of I see this in the tech sector, a lot of people who come up with great ideas who may have had really great careers in the tech sector view coding and development of tech product as as something quite other that um, techie guys do. And that's a big mistake. Because if that is your product, as I said before, you need to understand it inside and out. And if you're a founder in that sector and you don't understand how to code yourself and how to do these things, you'll have the wall pulled over your eyes. Now, across any of the businesses, are there any other mistakes that spring into mind? No, I think that's, that's quite enough. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> a lot in there. All right, well, let's go the opposite way. Let's say biggest successes in business. What have been your biggest successes and why? So, look, I still think I'm part way probably towards the start of my journey still right um the biggest success clearly been brandsmiths which is the law firm i set up eight years ago um set out from scratch and we now got 40 employees turning over seven million pounds over two million pounds profit a year that's that makes money that makes cash I've learned through that business how important cash is to a business. It's growing, it's ready to scale up. Yeah, it's, it's growing, it's scaling, and that's by far the biggest success I've ever had in anything. What do you attribute the success down to? Probably day-to-day -day discipline and working every single day. Your discipline? Yeah, working every single day. Understanding what you've got to do when you wake up and completing it at night, regardless of what happens. I do want to speak to you about that, actually, because I'm aware of some of your disciplines as well. Yeah. I'm going to speak to you about that yeah. in a second. Is there anything else that's standing out to you about why Brandsmiths in particular has been pretty successful? I think I started off with good people. You did. I was, the, I was really a solo founder because I was a partner in a law firm, and I set it up with two junior lawyers. Um, who didn't have any of the equity. I got a lot of help um, from another guy who really helped me set up, but I was really the only equity holder. And because law is so kind of structured, such a hierarchical structured profession, it was very different than setting up a different sort of business. Everybody knew their rules right from the get-go. I was the partner. I was the guy running it. I had a guy called Ben who was a solicitor and, and a lady called Haley, who was the paralegal who then... They both subsequently went on to qualify and have great careers themselves. But right at the beginning, it was very, very clear what everybody had to do. I, I'd been a lawyer for 15 years before I set it up, and I had clients, and I brought them over. So I started a business which already had clients at the beginning. So it was a, it was a good place to start. It wasn't like a traditional startup. We start with kind of a product and an idea and no clients. And, and you, you were also recruited young and hungry. You know, my observation at that point early on at, at Bradsmiths was that the kind of lawyers that you were bringing in, they were young and they were hungry. Yeah, and I set up in Manchester with a really young and hungry team there. I was so impressed with the lawyers up there. We had to, I mean, there's different people into the legal profession uh, and the cream of the crop of the legal profession tend to go to big firms. And I'd been at Mishcon's, the firm I previously was, and I'd been involved quite heavily in graduate recruitment and seen 
the people that we used to hire when we started off at Mishcons, which were you know people who wanted to bring their own clients in, yeah. who were aggressive, young and hungry. And then towards the end of my time at Mishcons, as it got bigger and more corporate, you wanted more solid people that would just fit certain levels. At Brandsmiths, right from the beginning, I needed people who could do everything, who could be good lawyers, who could get clients, who could speak to clients. They had to be fully rounded, all of them. Marketing, sales, Mar- customer service, everything. And law. Each one had to do everything. And especially in the Manchester office, those guys were voracious business developers. They knew that they had to go out and get clients. You need turnover straight away. You need to turn your hours into money immediately. And you're not going to get there if you're the kind of lawyer who just sits there and expects to be fed work. Because you only had so much work. How important has been establishing the culture in all of this? Then in attracting those people and keeping them and getting them performing. Yeah, right at the beginning, junior people want to join the legal profession. So you can bring in junior people into most law firms. But in order to attract more senior people as you go on up into very senior people, you have to build a culture that people want to join. And right from the start, one of my reasons for starting Brandsmiths was to have a different culture in the firm. I'd been influenced heavily by the firms I'd worked at before, seen really good things, not yeah. so good things. And I thought, you, I believed you could create an environment for lawyers where they would thrive, could do the work, but also they didn't have to be stifled by the general hierarchy. And talking about mistakes, perhaps a mistake I made was thinking that the hierarchy had no place in the law firm. I soon realised that you can't run a law firm without a hierarchy. It's just... Can you run a business without one? Probably not. Probably not. I think. I, I mean, it, the word hierarchy, I mean, there's many connotations. Yeah, there are. But especially in law, you do need a hierarchy. But what we do at Brandsmiths, which I think is good, is although there is a hierarchy, it doesn't mean you treat people any different. So I may be a trainee and you may be a partner. The hierarchy dictates I should listen to you. You've got more experience than me. I should follow your instructions. But it doesn't dictate that I should accept you disrespecting me and you should speak to me in a bad way and you shouldn't listen to what I have to say because I may be more junior than you, but I may have some good ideas. I remember six or seven years ago, you read the book Legacy. Yeah. And one of the one of the sort of lessons in leadership from... The All Blacks was no dickheads. Yeah. And you, we made that a big... You made that a big thing in... We made that a big thing in Brandsmiths. And I think, you know, when I started off, it was scary. Hiring people was scary. Lawyers are, by their nature, very risk-averse. And so you're talking to them and trying to hire them. And, and, they're, and they're thinking, what about my mortgage? What about my family? And I'm thinking, do I have enough work for you? I don't know. I mean, really? Do I? I don't know if I've got enough work for you. I don't know if you should leave your job, but you've got to try and sell that, sell that dream to people and move on. And then you get to a stage where you're willing to hire better, you want to hire better people. And then you get to a stage where you're willing to say bye to employees, which is really tough. It's tough saying bye to employees when you started something from scratch. But if you want to, now I realise that maintaining culture is key and you do have to have in every business you'd have a How no do you maintain rule. it as you grow? You have to be hard on the no dickheads rule. And where you see bad behaviour in your culture, you have to believe that your business even if it's a high top biller, even if it's a top biller, even if it's someone who's really adding financial value to the business, if you believe about the culture and so, whatever that dickhead behaviour is, if someone steps over the line in a certain way, you have to be um, you have to be ruthless on that because in order to engender the right culture of honesty, of candor, of people wanting to root for each other, you have to have a very tight kind of circle. And when someone does something that's really out of order, you have to, you have to show the, everyone else that that's not acceptable. Yeah, look, there's a, there's a couple of points that, that spring into mind and I'm aware of what your strengths are because I've been working with you behind the scenes for many years here. Now, one of the things is I always, I always admire this quality in you. You're really level-headed. Even in, even in crisis scenarios, there's, there's, a, there's an element of calmness about you. Where do you get that from? Yeah, I mean, I like to think so. Thank you for saying that. Um, 
I don't know. I think at uh, an early age, I was quite inspired by a guy called Eckhart Tolle, uh, who wrote a book called The Power of Now, yeah. um, about kind of separating yourself from your thoughts and understanding that the thoughts in your head kind of can make you sad or happy, but your reality is what really matters. How much impact has that had on you? Quite a big impact, actually. So when things are going wrong, you've got to distinguish between your life and your life situation in that moment. And it's the same thing, you know, if, if how do you react to, to negative feedback? Do you actually listen to it and listen to the words and, and depersonalise them and think, oh, I don't speak to people very well. I'm not very good in social situations. I'm not this. Or do you hear it and just think, who's this fucking guy telling me what to do? Why is he slagging me off? Why does he hate me? He's not very good. Well, I don't like what he does, but he's not very... Do you do that? How do you take those things? And if it's the second one, your mind's just creating a story. Poor you. It's mm -hmm. not that. And it's like, that. I see that in business all the time. It, whatever happens, I always think this, whatever happens, you either see it as an opportunity or a problem. And I think really, I mean this, I think everything is an opportunity. Now, one thing that you've just sort of reminded me of, in I think you've done this with all your businesses, but you believe that everybody needs a mentor and yep. you know people to share things with. How much you, it, throughout your businesses has that kind of thing come up where people are helping people with that negative voice in the head? Yeah, I mean, it comes up a lot with lawyers as they go through the stages, as they go Grow, through the levels. Growing. Yeah, through the levels. So, as I said, laws are very hierarchical um, business, and you start as a paralegal, then you go to trainee, then a solicitor. Then and you question yourself. Senior associate, yeah. then junior mm -hmm. partner, senior partner, CEO, whatever. And each stage, quite a lot of people question themselves. Am I good enough? Do you think, right, so I'm just... Pulling out a law for a second, yeah. do you think that's appropriate to anyone that wants to progress in the career? Absolutely. So anyone that's driven by career progression that wants to move up the ladder and keep going forward, these thoughts can come in. Absolutely. I'm sure they come into most people. And some people talk about it. I've heard the phrase imposter syndrome, yeah, yeah. where people think, I shouldn't be in this position. I'm not good enough to be in this position. You know, for me, imposter syndrome is, a, is just thoughts in your head. They're just negative comments. Just going right back to how you started. So how you detach from that is the lessons that you've learned from Eckhart Tolle. A hundred percent, yeah. A hundred percent. I think it's absolutely vital. Otherwise you sit there. How many times have you read that book? Once? Or? Oh no, I've read it five times. But I've read his subsequent books and I listen to him all the time. Yeah. And, um, and he brings an element of level-headedness, calmness. Yeah, and I listen to him sometimes when I have not difficult decisions to make, but when things are busy and I need clarity, it's good to sometimes remember those fundamentals. How often is that? I mean, because you've got a portfolio. Every businesses. few weeks. Every few weeks. Every few weeks, it's good to remind yourself of that. and Just and spend a bit of time. With yeah, not listen to the voices in your head. You know, I'm a big believer that you should make logical decisions, and your decisions have to be based on logic. But people always say, oh, do you go with your gut, or go with your head, or whatever. It's like... You have to be very careful in decision-making. Are you risk... I mean, you mentioned lawyers. This is what you said 10 yeah. minutes ago. Lawyers are risk-averse. Generally, yeah. Are you risk-averse? No. I'm are not. you opportunistic? Yeah. How do you assess an opportunity? I think there's two ways to assess the opportunity. It's about what it is for you. So if you're into making money, yep. if, if your purpose is to make money, then you will assess an opportunity in a certain way. And you'll think, how much money am I going to put in? How much of my time is it going well, to take? That's, that's going to come up for most business opportunities. Yeah, and how much, uh, uh, how much of my time is it going to take? How much money is it going to be in? How much could I make? And what's the total investment for yeah. me in terms of everything? There's another way to look at it, which is the concept of, does it throw up other opportunities? Does it grow you personally? Yeah. And are you thinking that way? So... When I see an opportunity, I like to take both into account, actually. I want to make money. My businesses don't survive if they don't make money. So that's the fundamental thing. I think if you're in business and you're not in business to make money, then you're not in the right sport. Are you a... Do you make decisions fast or, or slow? I know I'm just, like, being maybe arrogant with the um, two brackets there. Probably 
relatively quickly. I yeah. think you have to guard against. But certainly, I think one of the most crucial decisions you're going to make uh, as a business owner is hiring people. And certainly, you have to guard against confirmation bias and immediately going into an interview and I like this person. And so when they give me answers, I'm viewing those answers through a certain looking glass because I'm thinking, I like James. Yeah, I like the answer he gave there. You've got to really, I've, I personally have to guard against that because I can take an immediate like to someone right. in an interview and then not be rational thereafter. But I think I would never make a decision after 10 minutes. But I think if you've interviewed someone for an hour and you let it sit with you for a little while, yeah. you can make a good decision. Do you believe in sleeping on it? Yes, I do believe in sleeping on it. Yeah, something happens overnight. I do it? believe in yeah. sleeping on it. I think you just consider things from different angles, but I don't believe in sleeping on it for too long. Sleep on it, then make the decision. Uh, you know, I, even how you're saying, there's no doubt about you. You are a decisive decision maker, action taker. I, I learned from Stephen Bartlett recently. You know, he, he talks about reverse decisions. First time I'd heard this. Okay. And he says, most decisions are reverse decisions. He says, and the problem with uh, what goes on in, in business sometimes is lack of decisions. So you, you procrastinate, you avoid, etc. So slow, if you like. But he says, what a reverse decision is, even if you go with it, can it be reversed? Can you, like, go back out of it? Because if you can, don't make any difference. You can just make it, make the decision yeah. anyway. And within a few days after he'd said that, I'd found in my world, someone came up and shared with me and they said, that happened to me. I was thinking about buying this classic car, it's 30 grand or whatever it was. It was a classic car. Should I buy it? Should I not buy yeah. it? Guess what? You procrastinated too long. You didn't get it and lost it. Yeah. But the car would have been worth the same if you'd have bought it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that was an example of a reverse decision. And on those, he says, you just go. Yeah. Just you've got an opportunity and you go with it. I mean, I think that's what, I totally agree with that because that's weighing up making the decision against not making it. Yeah. So, for example, let's say in your personal life, um, you've got a chance to go to meet your friend at the weekend for lunch. Just say yes. You should say yes. I think you should always say yes if you're not sure of your schedule because um, better to say yes and then if you can't make it, you don't get the opportunity. It's a you, real you, slap you, round the face, that one, for me. You, 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 you don't go. But if you say no straight away, then you might miss out on it. So I think you should. You just got to say yes to things in your life. Especially that. I mean, look, you know, lasting relationships are really important in, in yeah. life. Yeah. So especially for stuff like that. Brad Sugars, he, he talks about this is how you develop relationships. You reach out and you show up. Yeah. Simple, isn't it? Reach out yeah. to people and show up. I totally agree. You should just take opportunities. You should be looking for things to say yes to. Because if you ask someone out or you ask someone to come to them and they just take a... Listen, I'm not saying you go to everything. You've got to work out what you want to go to. But if you even half want to go to something, I think you should do it. Well, look, and especially stuff that's going to deepen your relationships with important people in your yeah. life. Yeah, look, really powerful. So that, that, that's level-headedness. Something else that I know that the people that work for you, they would all say this, Adam is extremely consistent. Yeah. Now, consistency is a trait that a lot of people want to develop. Yeah. Why, would, why do you think they say that about you? I mean, I try and encourage it in them. They know it's a big thing for me that I think you should do the same. You should... There's lots of different people in this world you have to answer to, right? But the first person you've got to answer to is yourself. And the way you answer to yourself is if you say, you know, by the end of the day, I'm going to go through every single email and answer it. And you don't. And then you do it at 7am in the morning. No one's going to know, are they? No. No one's ever going to know. It's only you, but only you will know. So you have to hold, that's what I mean. You have to hold yourself to that standard higher than everyone else, higher than your employees. You, only you know if you're keeping yourself to that standard. Do you think that's where your consistency comes from? That? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I've, I, I realised early on in the business of law that one of the key things people wanted that was important to them was having communications returned every day. That was super important to clients. Even if it's to say, I'm getting back to you tomorrow. People don't like not knowing. 
And so I put this rule in that everyone had to respond to everything every day. And it was positive, good customer relation. Well, it had a dramatic impact on the business, that didn't yeah, it? Yeah, had a you big put impact that rule on the business. In. And it's sticky. It's hard to um, analyse it sometimes because it's hard to analyse whether or not you would have lost a client. It keeps your clients. It's a sticky thing. But probably when I was growing up, I had... Uh, I suffered a little bit from OCD and had to do things. I repeatedly did things. And maybe I've carried that into my... Maybe this is me carrying that, my OCD, into the business world for a positive use, which is I will not go to sleep at night unless I've done the things I set out to do that morning. Well, that means I've got to stay up. If it's 2 a.m. and I'm tired, I'm still going to do it. Yeah, look, I'm going on to discipline in a second, and I can vouch for that. I've seen that over the years. You know, some things that you were saying there around that whole consistent element is really resonating. Let's let's just touch on the discipline, though, first. So, you know, staying up until 2 in the morning to get back to someone, that's your standard, has that impacted in the rest of the business? Yes, I think so. Not, I think there's, as I said, there are certain, you can't change people. You know, if, if people are staying up till two in the morning because I've set them the standard, that's one thing. But the people who really stay up till two in the morning don't do it to someone else's standard, they do it for themselves. Yeah, I got what I was going to say there, actually. So, you know, you saying you were going to get back, you put a law in the business that you will get back to people on that day. Yeah. And that was one of the consistent elements. Yeah. What that does, it develops one, integrity. Yeah. Two is communication. Yeah. You're going to communicate with people on the same day. Yeah. How hard was it to establish that in the business? It wasn't as hard as it could have been because we did it early. If you if you when wait, you say early, you mean when you had less employees? Yes, when we had less employees. And you've and have you bottled that? Have you kept that in the business? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Kept it in there. It's one of our fundamental principles. Um, not as we don't shout as loudly about it as we did at the beginning. Yeah, and you were guaranteeing it, weren't you? Yeah, I was guaranteeing it to clients. Maybe I should shout more about it externally and internally now. Um, and as the business gets bigger, you can't. I don't know everything that's going on. I can't check forty people's emails every night and go oh you missed one I can't do it but people know it's important but if you shout about it and you say look we guarantee that these service yeah. levels will be met your calls will be returned on the same day that you yeah. that, that, that you've that you've that you've called yeah, it's really important it's hugely important for any I think any service business do you get ever get any complaints did you ever get any complaints did you ever get any complaints about people not no we've definitely had complaints right? but not about that not about that point. Maybe because you put the measures in. Yeah. Firmly. Communication is a challenge in all business, yeah? Whether you're two people in it or 2,000 people in it. Yeah. And of course, your customers are always the first ones to complain there. So, look, integrity and communication, really important things. Let's go back to your discipline then. Yeah. So you've got a few disciplines that you do, and they're really simple. One of them's biking, isn't it? Yeah. Why is that a discipline? Here? When do you do? When when do you go on your bike? Every Friday morning. Every Friday morning, without fail. Um, not unless I'm abroad or something or yeah. travelling. If I can't get on my bike, why did you put that in into your sort of weekly schedule? Yeah, I mean, it was something I learned uh, through. Not that I'm plugging you, James, but through working yeah. with you, which was you got to take control of your schedule at the start of each week. There's no point moaning. I don't have time to see my kids. I don't have time to see my wife. I don't have time to go out with my friends. I'm working so hard. It's like, yeah. no, you know, you have to prioritize other things in your life the same way you do work. So I was working really hard. And let's say I was going to go, go out that evening with my mates. And then I got a call from a client and the client said, I need you here now at 8.30. Now it's tough in law to t say no to clients. And I still probably, in the business, we probably don't say no very much. But if I had another meeting at 8 p.m., I would not have sacked that meeting off to go yeah. and see this client. But because it was just my own personal stuff, yeah. I would say, yeah, who cares about me? As in, yep. who cares about me sitting in the pub with my mates? So I would replace 
me sitting at the pub with my mates with that meeting. So my life was really about work. Now, obviously, I've run businesses. My life is about work. But now I've realised that I will not take a meeting between 8 and midday on a Friday morning. I treat that time like I treat four hours in court. Yep. It's, it's just there, and it's, it's definitely improved my life, actually. Why? Just more balance in it. Just more balance and less... Again, you always, I think you, to some extent, people are always battling against the thoughts in their head. The, the example you give, you know, it, it, it hits the heart straight away there. And, and you give in the Friday morning, 8 till 12, I'll treat that exactly like it would be if even if, yeah. if it was in court. But you do the same on, on other evenings. You play football on an evening. Yeah. You have an evening with, the, you have a couple of evenings with the family. It's all yeah. about the family and the kids. Yeah, I just think you have to be rigorous on that. And sometimes you're not going to be able to do it. You can't do it every time because you might be travelling, you might be on a plane, there may be something unavoidable. But in the same way that you would cancel a business meeting, you cancel that. You've got to treat it the same. Does it, if I didn't do that, if I spent more time working, would the businesses be more successful? Possibly. But I think you have to, you have to draw a line sometimes to say, you know, what is what is best for you as a person and you know I've got total respect for someone who says I don't want to see anyone I live with I don't want to go cycling with my mates I'm just throwing myself into this 100% and every single day I'm doing this great but just be clear what you're saying to do at the start and follow through with it what about on a Sunday then because you've got a discipline on a Sunday where you look at the week ahead on a Sunday evening I do is it an hour? Is it two hours? I mean, you, you plan an, it out, don't you? Yeah, an hour to two hours every Sunday. And you do, but you've been doing that how many years? Three years now. And it's, and I know it's there. I mean, yeah, three, four years. What impact has that had on you being organised for the? For yeah, the I think if it's it's the reason why the business. I think it's the reason why the businesses I've had have been successful. It's because. I do the same things every week. Probably quite good for someone with OCD, quite boring, but I do the same things every week and then incrementally you get better and better. You can spot issues quicker. Um, and when I'm not doing that, those things, then I can see gaps start to appear. But when I am doing those things, the businesses remain healthy. I'm aware, I'm aware of this, obviously, because I, I, I do work with you behind the scenes, but... As your businesses have got bigger and bigger and there's more employees and more people that you're influencing, if you like, um, you started to plan a month in advance. Maybe we should do this again, actually, coming yeah. up. The conversations you're going to have with people. Yeah. Who's going to get some feedback and what feedback yeah. is going to be? And the recognition. It's huge. Who, who else needs recognition? How, how has that impacted on huge, you? Absolutely maybe? huge. I mean, the toughest thing as a business, as a founder, a business owner, is... So stop doing the work yourself. I think, as Brad Sugar says, stop working in your business, start working on your business. Yeah. That is the toughest thing to do. And once you realise that you're far more productive, tough as a lawyer because you've been the product your whole life. You know, I was motivated through my whole career by how many chargeable hours I did. That was my motivation, was chargeable hours. And then to switch from chargeable hours to, now I've got to run this business. I shouldn't be spending three hours doing that witness statement I should be spending three hours um, talking to my head of marketing about what we're going to do in marketing. And once you get into that mindset, you need to start looking at your time in a different way. And you think conversations, feedback, recognition are all absolutely crucial to running the business well. You know, you, your business is going to run well if you have the right people in the right place who are properly motivated. And... As a leader, it's incumbent upon you to talk to those people as much as you can to make sure they're in the right space. Because if you don't, that's when things start to go wrong. Just thinking of some of your businesses there as you, as you go and as you evolved, is there anything, if you started them again, is there anything that, that absolutely you will put into place right at the start to speed things up that, you've, that you're actually doing now but you wish you'd have done earlier? Yeah, absolutely. I think I would have looked at people and HR totally differently from the start. I would have hired slightly differently. Um, would you have hired quicker? I would have probably hired quicker, yeah. 
I would have been less reticent to hire each time we've hired. The work's been there and it, we've moved on, so I would have probably grown gold, would have hired quicker. I would have been probably more competency-based in law on the interviews. I would have been higher on that. I think sometimes as a personal thing, I think I've hired off gut field too many times. And I would have put in our mentoring and monitoring um, scheme and enforced it harder from the start. That's the really big thing I wish I'd done, which was everyone should meet with their mentor or monitor, I don't know, once a week, once every two weeks. But if you're busy, you don't do it. I remember the system, uh, I think it was yeah. Andy, Andy came up with the two two twenty system. Yeah. Um, two, two goals every two, two weeks. weeks with a 20-minute mentor discussion. Yeah, and so many times, per, even with my mentees, oh, you're busy this week, busy this week, yeah, yeah. let's not do it. It's not prioritising non-work things in the same way you prioritise work things. I think that's the greatest challenge probably in a lot of professional sectors when you're trying to grow a business. You, pro you have to prioritise your clients. Without your clients, you have no business. I get that. But when you get to a certain scale and the business starts to tick over, you have to prioritise non-client activities. You have to make sure that your staff do that. And the staff are like, mm, do I really need another meeting? Do I really need to do this? And you can, I get you get meeting fatigue, but when we didn't do that, when we slacked off on that, we had problems in the business. Emotional problems or what kind of problems? Um, people weren't being monitored properly, weren't being mentored properly. The most employees, especially in a law firm, um, will have their view on how things should be mm. and are highly intelligent and will want to voice that view. And sometimes if they don't voice that view in an environment that you create for them, they'll voice it privately. And that has the possibility people will go off, they'll go yeah. down the pub, they'll start so, talking about things, yeah. turning it into silos. Blaming cultures. Blame culture. And that's when you start to lose your culture. So if you, like anything, if you don't have the outlet at work, if you don't give people the way to be heard at work, they'll, they'll go and out you know they'll put that output out somewhere else yeah, i know this is one of your kind of this is your language has brand smith's been through the teenage years now is it reached maturity mm, i don't know if it's reached maturity it certainly ha has gone through yeah some teenage years for sure for sure and we're probably we've learned a lot through there maybe we're going through a good teenage period right now that's probably yeah. what I'd say. Well-behaved. Yeah, we're a well-behaved teenager <laughs> now. But yeah, I mean, it's it's hard scaling a business up. And um, personnel and how you treat those personnel and, and the way in which you give them the opportunity to be heard. And then most importantly, how you act on their complaints. Because you can have a system where you say, right, I'll listen to you. And everyone can vent. And there's a there's a... There's a benefit in venting. There's 100% a benefit in venting. But then, if you don't do anything about it, yeah, you kind of, you got the venting out. But if you don't do anything about it, that's not very good. I always, I always take it better if someone vents, and, but if, they've, if they're emotionally intelligent enough to say, look, to be fair, I just need to vent this. Yeah. He, 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 I don't want to do anything with this. I just need to get it out. And then, you know, problem shared, problem halved to a degree. Absolutely, and there's, there's definitely a benefit in venting. But if your whole process is just a venting process, people catch on Is there quick. a difference between venting and mourning? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. I think the difference is in what the business decides to do with it. So a moan can be treated in one way, and something else which could be considered a moan could be treated in a different way and you could implement something you know someone could be saying oh it's not fair that person got to go on holiday and work from their holiday home and I didn't and you might think well actually we need to apply our rules fairly and we need to look at what the rules are on that and that yep. can move you into a really fair change that's good for everybody got some quick fire questions for you here okay all right so let's see what you've got what's your favorite book 
The Power of Now. The Power of Now. I thought you were going to choose that when you (laughs) said it, actually, earlier on. Is there a second favourite book? I read this really great book by Will Self once called Great Apes, which which was like the reverse. It was like the reverse of Planet of the Apes. Really worth a a read for anyone. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Favourite movie? Um, The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yes. Good one, isn't it? Why do you choose that? Well, maybe Robocop. Oh, Robocop one. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with Robocop. Dead or alive, you come with me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Robo. so we've got Robocop and the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, I'm going for Robocop. Yeah, I'm all right, there Robocop. we go. Look at that. Uh, bring back memories. What was he called? Murphy, wasn't he? Ed yeah. 209. Yeah. Favourite music? Country music. Country music? Yeah. American? Yeah, American country yeah. music. You and Brad. You and Brad love it all day long. He wears cowboy boots. Does he? Gets the hat, the whole lot. Line dancing. I don't think he does line <laughs> dancing, but there you go. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Um, that's a good question. The ability to know what other people are thinking. Oh, read minds. Yeah, read minds. Why do you choose that? Because that's what I try and do all day long anyway. You'd, kn- you'd know who was guilty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're trying to do in your job, is to try and understand what someone else is thinking, yeah. feeling. All right. Uh, Favourite holiday destination? The Caribbean. Uh, any particular part of the Caribbean? Uh, maybe Antigua. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Great beaches. 365 beaches. 300, one for each day of the year? <laughs> that's, that's their catchphrase, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, early bird or night owl? Night owl. Have you always been that? Mm, probably not when I was younger but I just everyone needs I think some quiet time yeah. to themselves or to do their work and and for me night owl works with the way I view things because if I have to get something finished by the end of the day it doesn't matter when Space, it is yeah. so that I've got to get it done and then I go to sleep it's probably quite common in law that as well isn't it yeah there, there, you, you certainly there is a late night hours culture which can be quite unhealthy as when you enter the profession, probably not anymore since COVID. People are working from home more, and um, yeah, presenteeism is not as important. Right. But maybe I was brought up on that in law firms, and it's stuck. If you could have one day in someone else's life, who would you choose? And it could be a, a future day, or it could be a, a historic day. Mm. Probably, it would be. Like a golf, like a top golfer, like Rory McIlroy. I'd like to, I'd like to be him on the final day in the Masters, just to see what that feels like. Yeah, the, la- the last putt. No, 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 the day you said I got. Yeah, a day. yeah. Oh, yeah, so you the get the Sunday, day. Yeah. I want to play the Sunday as him at Augusta, executing with calmness. Yeah, total precision. Hundred percent. Yeah, there we go. All right, who've been the three biggest trusted advisors of your life? Probably you, one of them. Okay, what, what, why? Because, you know, as a coach, you, you've actually coached me well, so you've helped me reach decisions myself. So I don't know whether you count as an advisor, but you probably kind of push yeah. me in the right way. Um, yeah, I don't really know, actually. Friends, family? Possibly. I've tended to be a bit of a loner in that in that regard and not really wanted to phase or two I've had like good bosses in different law firms and there were people I looked up to is there any to. standout? not really no not really what about Rian? yeah Rian has I mean she's obviously I've been with her over 20 years but I think in a in a personal relationship you have a lot going on there that when I started Brandsmith, actually, we did talk about her being involved. Um, but I think it was probably a good move to to separate business and yeah. personal life. So although she's been a huge influence on in my life and my personal life, I think from a business perspective, yeah, I will talk to her about, I will talk to her about things. But maybe I'm just... I don't know. I've just have never gravitated to an advisor. 
I know you do journaling, don't you? Yeah. Is that, is that in some way self-advice? Kind of. I mean, it's just every day I write down what I've got to do and then I kind of do it at the end of the day. So a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I think role models and mentors are important. I think in various different law firms, I've had really good role models. Um, at different stages, you're a trainee and you see someone who's a newly qualified, you think, oh, I want to be like them. I think that's very important. But overall, I've not had, I guess like my family, mm-hmm. my mum my and dad, they've always been very supportive of me. But I don't know, maybe it's something personal for me that I've never really wanted to to share that too much. I like to keep things separate because otherwise I think, well, if, if you let your wife or your mum and dad in and get them to advise them, then what happens when it goes wrong? You bring the whole thing down together, right? Well, you know, maybe the, the, advice, the advisor language is the wrong word actually to use because you use it all of the time on a yeah. day-to-day basis in work. But, but anyway, if, listen, if the listeners to this, so business owners, business leaders, personal development junkies, yeah, if they could do one thing from this conversation and, the, and it is guaranteed to help them succeed, what would it be? Every day, write down what you're going to do and don't go to sleep until you've done it. Oh, it's powerful, isn't it? Every day, write down what you're going to do and do not go to sleep until it's done. And that's got you where to where you are. It's one of the disciplines, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I I feel that personally. I can see that happening. There's evidence of probably six or seven years. Um, You know what? One of my my favourite parts from today has been just don't hesitate say yes to that lunch yeah with your friends or whoever it is just say yes just say yes and get it in the diary get it in the diary make it happen and if you really really can't make it happen people understand yeah but I'd rather go that way you know don't say yes to things you're never going to do but if you want to do it just say yes just grab it do it and then if you can't if you have to cancel fair enough much better than not doing it and and you know toing and froing about whether you should say yes or oh, yeah. or the people procrastination there that I know. isn't it it's procrastination you're, you're, kills you you're in no no place no person's yeah. land what's been your favorite part of this conversation um just talking about mistakes actually that was i hadn't thought about that beforehand and it's not something i often reflect on you know some big lessons i have spoken a lot about boxing but i do a lot of work in boxing and um one thing we're really good at there that I don't do enough in business is analysing where things go wrong. We're very big on that, um, both before and after. Is it because it's, it's such an event? Yeah, and it lends itself more to that. One of the things I've tried to do, so I work with Frank Dick, yeah. and one of the things, so he, uh, ex-GB athletics coach, he does certain things in sport, which sit in sport and leadership and people understand it in sport. I've tried to bring that into law but one of the things he talks about is a pre-mortem, mm-hmm. uh, which is very helpful, I think. And you don't, we don't do it enough because in sport, we don't like to anticipate losing. But having lost and it really hurts, it's better to think about <laughs> losing beforehand and talk about, yeah. okay, we're sat here, we've lost. Why did we lose? I mean, I've just gone through a situation with Joe Joyce where we lost and I had that conversation and we sat there and we worked out... Um, what went wrong and how we're going to put it right. But in that scenario, I didn't do a pre-mortem and I should have done a pre-mortem because maybe if I did a pre-mortem, we wouldn't be in the position we're in now. Some powerful lessons, Adam. Thank you very much. Thanks, James. See you next time. Cheers.